everyone, and welcome to episode 143 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson, and today we have two segments for you. Uh, kicking the show off, myself, Alex, Danny, and Addison sit down to do a ton of listener mail. After that, Neil and Zach return for another Game of the Week segment, this time focused on Miramasa the Demon Blade. Enjoy. Hey everybody, and welcome to a brand new segment of Nintendo World Report Connectivity. I am your host for this segment, Alexander Kulafi, and I am joined by Addison Webb. Howdy. Danny Bibbins. Hello. And Scott Thompson. Hello. We are going to be doing a mailbag segment this week. Uh, if you are interested in sending in questions of your own, we usually do a quick tweet a few hours before at uh, our mothership account at Nintendo underscore NWR. And if you're interested in sending us a longer email, which I will admit does have a higher chance of being read, you can send that to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. So, we have a whole bunch of tweets and two emails tonight. You know the uh, addresses. And let's get started. From Cries. Uh, The Wii U has been a heavy focus lately, but what do you think is the future of the 3DS or is it time for a successor? So this guy's talking about, basically, uh, the Wii U's been in everyone's attention, especially with E3, the Wii U getting the big focus. Is it time for a 3DS successor soon, uh, so that can start getting a bit more of the attention? Or is the 3DS just kind of taking a break so Wii U can get in the front seat? Yeah, I think that 3DS is still doing fine. I mean, you look at most of the developer support, most of that stuff's coming out of Japan, and there's still pretty strong support. I mean, you know, last year was a really, really strong year for 3DS, like, worldwide, so it's kind of hard to top, like, the best year of the system's life cycle, but there's still definitely a lot of life. I mean, I would say Nintendo's probably looking into a successor, but I don't think it's something they're going to be talking about anytime soon, though. Yeah, I think if you, it's easy to kind of overlook what is coming to the 3DS this year because we've known about it for a while and it really wasn't blown at E3. But we're getting Smash Bros. on the 3DS. We're getting, I mean, quote, unquote, a new Pokemon game, even if it is a remake. Um, and then we still have things like uh, Leighton and Professor Wright uh, down the pipeline here in North America uh, and different things like that. So the 3DS is still fairly stacked. Um, it still has more games than the Wii U. Yeah, and I, I agree with Danny. Like last year, last year was amazing for the 3DS, and I think we are hitting now sort of a refresh, a refresh year, uh, where now uh, all these, uh, especially Nintendo's internal development studios, are sort of getting back to work. I mean, we saw at E3, we saw Project Steam, uh, which will be coming next year sometime. Um, so I think we're just kind of in a cool down period right now, even though there's still a lot of great things coming. And I think they did at E3 make it. Uh, uh, it was a strategic point to make the focus on Wii U and to show everything that's coming to kind of build up uh, interest and excitement for that system, which, I mean, has been, a, you know, sort of floundering over the past, uh, well, two years since it launched. At this point, I'm just not ready to buy any new hardware. <laughs> I'm at this point in the, like, generation cycle where I've just bought a ton of hardware and I'm just like, okay, give me some software, give me some games. And I think... The titles that we mentioned before are going to be pretty big games this year. The Pokemon obviously sells like crazy, as long as you slap Pokemon on it. And I think the Smash 
for 3DS will be big as well. I'm looking forward to that version. Actually, I kind of feel right now that I'm more looking forward to that version than the Wii U version. Hmm. Oh, weird. The uh, the 3DS successor uh, thing that's brought up, because that is brought up a little more and more every year now, is so interesting to me. Because the 3DS is three years old already, but it's also only three years old. Like, it, it feels like now is the part where we can, like, relax with the 3DS and enjoy uh, a lifespan worth of games with a lifespan worth of games to come. Like, this seems like... Uh, not the 3DS's golden years, because that's that implies it's getting older. But this is, like, the cool middle period for 3DS. I, I think we still have a lot to expect from this system. And I would be surprised if we got an announcement before 2017. With, like, the release date being late 2017 or even late 2018. What do y'all think about the idea of Nintendo coming out with a hybrid handheld home system for their next generation? I don't think they'll do it because, uh, they, well, I, a really basic rule is it's always good to have multiple streams of income, and uh, Nintendo's two main streams of income are its handheld and console. Now, I'm sure that we're working towards a future where they're going to become a lot more connected, but the idea of a complete hybrid system will take out... Uh, a whole product line for Nintendo, I think. Unless they manage to make them separate at the same time, but allow you to buy both and use them together. If if they figure out some weird, convoluted way, but also kind of awesome Nintendo way to pull that off. Like but, a dock or something? Sure. Uh, even with the quality of life stuff that's coming out, I don't think they're going to do it because it takes away one of their income streams. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, with the quality of life stuff, too, I mean, that could... You know, it could become like kind of what the DS was going to be originally, like, you know, a third pillar, and then maybe it's going to take off, and it could be the, another main thing. You know, I don't know. It's, yeah, I think it's a possibility to have some kind of hybrid system, but I, I have no idea how Nintendo could do this. I mean, we'll talk about it in a bit, but it's it's funny to think of a hybrid system at this point when we have two systems that don't even really communicate with each other at all. Um, so that's that's a big leap <laughs> to think about at this point. But I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, who knows? Yeah, where we'll be at. I mean, Alex, like you said, the 3DS now is only three years old. The DS was seven years old when the 3DS came out. So, um, and I know the DS was was a runaway success, um, and the 3DS has been very good, especially lately. I was like, God, especially if you think about where it was in that first year. I mean, with the ambassadors program and price, price drops and everything like that, it was looking very bleak for a while. Um, but yeah, I still think we have a ways to go. So, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see even what video games look like in that time. I mean, I know there's this big push towards, uh, cloud gaming and everything like that. Um, I wonder if, you know, if that could be in the future for Nintendo as well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, even speaking of cloud gaming, just a side note, I mean, I don't know if you guys had seen this, but Dragon Quest X, it's coming to 3DS here in Japan, and, mm-hmm. you know, that they're, they're doing it via streaming is how they're actually going to uh, do the performance. It's not going to be, like, the stuff not being performed on, like, the, you know, internal 3DS CPU stuff. It's just all oh, wow. done from the cloud, so. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't hear that. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's this stuff's it's a possibility, and, I mean, Square Enix is working with this, and I, I can imagine Nintendo could do it if they wanted to, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Well, I mean, if they see it working on their hardware, then yeah, maybe it'll be something they think about in the future. We'll see. Right, right. All righty. From Donald Mick, could MOBA Overload be a problem for Splatoon, which seems to be Nintendo's take on it? Uh, I I think 
Scott, you seem relatively well educated <laughs> on the whole MOBA craze, and I, I'll just let you take this one. I like the modifier relatively. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting reading this question. I'd never thought of Splatoon in the sense of a MOBA, which for anyone who doesn't know, a MOBA is sort of a strategy genre, uh, pretty much exclusively on PC. Well, there's probably some on mobile platforms now. Um, we basically have two teams of opponents, uh, con- basically trying to conquer the entire map. They attack, uh, their opponent's towers and eventually destroy those and then destroy their base. Um, there's a lot of strategy. It kind of, we were discussing it beforehand, trying to discuss, uh, what it sort of plays like. And we kind of came up with Diablo slash World of Warcraft, um, in terms of the combat. But, um, yeah, I guess I could see the comparison because you're, you're basically vying for control of the map in Splatoon. So you're spreading your ink around to paint the uh, the levels in your ink color. It gives you uh, benefits when you do that. I mean, you move faster, um, and it seems like you can do a lot of cool attacks when, you, uh, when you've got more ink on the map. Um, so there, I could, I mean, it definitely does feel like that now that, now that you say that, and I think that's a, a really cool way to look at it. But I don't see it being a problem. I mean, if anything, like, I mean, this past weekend, seeing all the tweets about the uh, Defense of the Agents 2 uh, tournament that was going on over the weekend, I mean, it's been insane. And I think it's going to only get more popular. So I think Nintendo has a, like a good habit of making games that are, are popular, like based on genres that are popular, but making it very uh, accessible and easy to get into. Um, so I could almost see, yeah, Splatoon, maybe it'll be a, a big audience's first introduction to MOBAs, and then they'll, they'll move on from there. But I don't see it being a problem at all. If anything, I think it will will help. I also don't really... I, I guess I'm not nearly as educated on esports as some of the people listening to this, and even recording this might be, but uh, I never saw this as an attempt at esports. I mean, we haven't seen the full uh, scope of what the game is yet, but to me, it seems like Nintendo's Pixar take on a first-person shooter, not a first-person because I think it's a third-person shooter, yeah, right. but Nintendo's Pixar take on the multiplayer shooter uh, arena, and I, I guess now that you've explained it a little bit, Scott, I think I can see where the MOBA thing is coming from, but I I see people looking at this more as a shooter than anything else. Another thing, too, to take in consideration, I mean, didn't they say that there is going to be, like, a campaign type of a mode, too? Yep, with there this? will be a single player. So I think, you know, that could make it... Definitely differentiate it from some kind of something like a MOBA. I mean, we know absolutely nothing about the single-player campaign other than the fact that it exists. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell, but it's probably going to do something with that, you know, mechanic. But, yeah. Alrighty. Uh, next up, from Mikey of Isengard. Thoughts on recent Hyrule Warriors announcements? What characters do you hope make it in? Uh, well, the announcements have been kind of awesome. It seems like virtually like every uh, two-bit character from these Zelda series is is getting into these games. Um, I we still don't have a Tingle announcement. That's that's what I'm holding out for. Yeah, me too. There's no way he doesn't make it in. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. Right, but we we don't have it yet. So that that's what I'm holding out for. We need Tingle in there, and then I'm set. But I mean, what they're what they've announced so far is just crazy. I mean, it's total fan service. Um, both in terms of characters and even just the, what you're doing in the game. Uh, it's such like a cool, just sort of weird abstract take on like the Zelda universe. And I, I'm really excited to, to see how it turns out. 
Yeah, I I look at the uh the combat and now that I've been playing Fist of the North Star and I've been working on uh another Dynasty Warrior PS3 game. I think it was the new one that went on sale a week or two back. Uh I wonder how they're going to get people excited about this because most people you talk to now there are plenty of people who like Dynasty Warriors and that's cool. I I can see the appeal of mindlessly uh killing tons of enemies. I wonder how much more accessible Hyrule Warriors is going to be and how much effort they're going to put in to differentiate it from the repetition that comes with Dynasty Warriors. Because when I see the videos, and I haven't been seeing every single trailer that's been coming up seemingly every other day now, uh, the combat I have seen does seem like a heavy stylized Zelda version of Dynasty Warriors, but for better or worse, it still very much seems like Dynasty Warriors. And I wonder if that's going to result in this game getting a lot of 6.5s and 7s when the uh, the hype dies down and we're just left with a game. And I'm not saying those are well-deserved 6.5s or 7s are not well-deserved. But I, I wonder if this is just going to be another Dynasty Warriors game with something most of us care about. Uh, but still a Dynasty Warriors game at the end of the day. Yeah, I think the the Zelda skin is is what's going to do it for me. I mean, like you said, watching videos of it, it for sure still <laughs> looks like it plays like a Dynasty Warrior game. And I, I see sort of, uh, even just watching the, the trailers and gameplay clips, just cutting through worthless mobs of enemies, uh, you know, until you finally get to bigger boss battles. So, um, no, I don't expect to really be wowed by the combat, per se. I think it is the, the Zelda wrapping that's really going to... Uh, to do it. I think that's why they're smart to really do all this fan service and to dig deep and have just this bizarre cast. I mean, it could have just as well been four different colored links and they could have called it a day, you know, or just Link and <laughs> Zelda. Um, but they really like have, have done the best they can to like mine <laughs> Zelda lore all throughout different generations of Zelda even, uh, to bring it all together. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good way to get people excited about it. Cause I don't, I don't think playing it purely the, the gameplay is going to be all that great. Right. And I don't know. I, I've been turned off by Dynasty Warrior games since like the PS2 era. So I, I'm, I'm still going to get this game just namely because of the fan service. But yeah, on gameplay alone, I don't think that's the, 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 the reason I'm picking this up and probably a lot of other people out there too. I'm going to, I'm kind of going to let everyone else kind of test it for me <laughs> and see how the game turns out before I end up picking it up. And this might end up being a uh, wonderful 101 situation where everyone says it's great, but I just wait for it to hit $20 as like kind of a safety price. Mm. Uh, I I can't see myself picking this up for $60 or $50, i am guessing. It'll be one of those prices, day one. Like, I, it that seems dangerous to me. It's not coming out in a really great spot either. Just kind of a lot. If you If you have anything that you can play other platform. I mean, I know there's tons of games that I'm looking more forward to than that coming out around that time. But one of the things I think is interesting about just the character and the environment selection for this game is I feel like it takes so much from a Twilight Princess more than any of the other games, which is interesting because I feel like out of all the Zeldas right now, that one's getting the most hate out of any in the series. So I think it's kind of a wonder how people react to that yeah twilight princess i i you know what i think it might be well deserved 
as one of the worst <laughs> in the series. Oh. And I'm not saying it's a bad game. I mean, the worst Zelda that's like an actual Zelda game is still probably a 7.5 or 8 out of 10. But I think people are justified in calling Twilight Princess the worst oh, Zelda. I, Addison, are you a big fan of Twilight Princess? Absolutely. I'm but sorry. I also <laughs> am the resident Link Between Worlds hater. So no, you're not the only one. Uh, officially, half of this panel hates a Link Between Worlds. Oh now. man, God, what's uh, wrong with you guys? <laughs> so uh, we just have taste. <laughs> Um, no, it's, I'm sure, I, I think Zelda's a weird fan base because, not, not the fan base is weird, but the series is weird because every single game, even though they're extremely similar, they're also extremely different and that they have their own little mechanical takes. Uh, Twilight Princess, Wind Waker, and Skyward Sword all have drastically different universes, even though they're technically, like, a they're technically all Hyrule, but they're still incredibly different at the same time. Well, Skyward Sword is Skyloft, but still, very different universes. So I guess there are plenty of people who will call Twilight Princess the best and Twilight Princess the worst. The Link Between A Link Between Worlds is the best and the worst. And even A Link to the Past, there's probably someone out there who just hates it and has played it fairly and has played all other Zeldas, but just hates that game more than any other. I was going to say, doesn't J.P. Corbin hate Link to the Past? <laughs> oh, we found him. We found that one person. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I could be wrong. J.P., I'm sorry if, if, you, if you don't hate it, but he's stirring up shit. Uh, from Tim Hudson. With the existence of Steam, eShop, PSN, etc., uh, why is pre-order a thing still? Is GameStop trying to stop Digital Rise? And the answer to that question, I'll just say now, is yes. There is a reason why digital games still cost $60 in most cases on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live. It's because retail chains would get extremely pissed if digital was undercutting uh, physical significantly. Which is why, when you see most of the good sales... It's either on PSN on games that are much older and retail stores wouldn't really care about, or it's uh, it's almost always physical being much cheaper than digital, at least in the United States. I, I know there's weird cases in places like Australia, but uh, pre-ordering is still a thing because it's important data to all parties. They want to know uh how many copies do you anticipate them selling they want something to brag to investors about and GameStop uh, they still will have their stake in the physical market as long as there is one and they are not going to let go uh unless they have no other choice i mean i absolutely agree that that's the point of the uh the you know DLC or uh pre-order content locked to stores but i wonder what developers get out of working with stores to do this well, I don't um, think the developers necessarily work with them as much as the publishers do. Or pub- well, sure, sorry, publisher. Um, but I wonder what they what they get out of it. Do they see that having pre-order bonuses, does that spur sales in any way? Does that encourage people to pick up the game right away rather than waiting for an eventual sale, whether it's digital or physical? It's a, uh, it's a weird situation. Like, you got to wonder who's putting money in whose pocket. Like, uh, if GameStop gets an exclusive, are they offering to pay more per copy to Activision for Destiny? 
is like at, yeah is is GameStop uh paying money to Activision directly so they have something nice to show off like they have the best piece of DLC content uh that's so weird and I I don't think we'll ever find out for sure but it it seems like money is being exchanged some way from the retail to the publisher for GameStop to get a better exclusive than Amazon. Did y'all see that article that GameStop's talking about wanting to fund uh, GameStop only pre-order DLC? Like actually pay the developers to make the content? That's 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 a smart idea. Like I, I don't know if I like the idea on a personal level, but that is kind of like an evolution of what they've been doing before. Like just getting to the source, getting the best DLC possible. And getting stuff that actually might make the experience significantly better instead of being some throwaway DLC. Uh, from a business perspective, that makes a whole lot of sense. Like, because if GameStop funds that, I'm guessing they will have at least somewhat complete control over how that gets distributed. So if you want one of the best pieces of Destiny 2's DLC, because uh, I'm guessing this would happen significantly somehow down the line you might have to either buy it from GameStop's website directly uh, or pre-order it or maybe the pre-order is the only way you'll only ever be able to get it that, that, that's actually a really cool idea though well it's a, definitely a smart idea for them <laughs> to stay competitive and stay involved in selling games when it's getting you know more and more uh, digital yeah and I think as gamers we have to look at it kind of like most likely this content wouldn't be developed if they're funding it at all. So I'd rather give my money to GameStop and have the extra content personally that wouldn't otherwise be there. So would that actually impact your pre-order? Would you consider pre-ordering a game from GameStop, which I think requires you, at least in store, to put down $5? Would you do that uh, for the exclusive content, even if you have to have bought the game first. Like, you can't just turn around and buy it on Amazon later. Would, would that encourage you at all? Well, full disclosure, most games I know I want on launch day, I do pre-order at GameStop just because it's convenient on my drive to and from work. I know I won't have to run around town on launch day. And, um, yeah, it is $5 to put down, but... Like, $5 to get the Destiny beta code, like, that was perfectly fine with me. It's always, you can transfer it to another game if you change your mind, even the day that it comes out. Which even nice. after the day it comes out. Yeah. And always, like, going in there to get street passes, too, so. Do you get street passes from GameStop? Yep. Yeah, most of the employees have their 3DSs there. Mm. Uh, from Andrew, XC Warrior one why do you guys think gamers cry out for cross-buy on Nintendo platforms, but fork over $60 willingly for HD remakes on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One? Asking because Uncharted remakes are now possible. Uh, I think Naughty Dog has basically said, like, we don't have plans yet, but who knows. And uh, people seem happy to play a game they just played, like Last of Us, etc. So before we answer this, it's worth separating exactly what cross-buy and uh, these HD remakes are. Cross-buy basically means 
if you buy a game on one platform, you get the exact same experience on other platforms. If you buy uh, a game on PlayStation Vita with cross-buy, you will also have access to it on PlayStation 3 and sometimes even PlayStation 4. And people are complaining for Nintendo that they don't have this yet because there are two identical versions of Super Mario Bros. 3 on the eShop on Wii U and 3DS, and if you buy one, you do not get the other one for free, despite them being the exact same price. You have to spend $10 on Super Mario Bros. 3 to get them on two platforms, instead of just five. So, uh, HD Remix, uh, for The Last of Us, that one is $50, not 60 and it includes all of the DLC, which I think is 20 to 30 in value, uh, much better visuals, and a commentary track that is exclusive to that. Now, I'm not saying that's a reasonable price for $50, even though I think I have a pre-order down for it somewhere, <laughs> uh, to each their own. But it's at least a similar concept to the Wind Waker HD, which has its own maybe 10% more content than the original package had. So maybe they're, they both can be looked at as two ways of... uh cynically two ways of a company trying to swindle if that's the right word the consumer <laughs> but i still think they're two pretty different concepts right and i think sony now they're in a unique place where they're getting so many consumers that went with a different platform last generation so a lot of people haven't played the last of us or haven't played the uncharted series so they have an opportunity to not only resell these games in a new package to their hardcore fans who will buy it anyways but also all these people who had 360s or just Wii's last generation, they're getting a the chance to play all these top Sony titles, and it helps Sony assimilate them, these people with their um, franchises and get them familiar and wanting to buy the next Uncharted, the next Last of Us, if there is one. Uh, yeah, and it's HD remakes, like... Sony, outside of basic advertising, and Nintendo with Wind Waker, outside of basic advertising companies will do for their games they aren't like pushing those games onto you they're not saying you have to buy this and we're actually discontinuing the playstation 3 version of the last of us in addition it's just another option for you cross buy is something that other com like uh competitors are already doing and that is completely reasonable from a business perspective but nintendo just hasn't done yet and it's something they really should need or even need to be doing. You know, I have a question about cross-buy, Alex, because I, I, honestly, I've never bought a cross-buy title ever. So sure. if you buy, like, a cross-buy title, do, like, the saves carry over to, like, the other systems? Like, let's say in the PlayStation, you know, family. Like, if you're playing in your Vita and you save it and you want to pick up and play on PS4 or whatever, is that stuff, like, can you do that? So it depends. Uh, that Like, there's a lot of, like, cross-terms. Like, one of them's cross-buy, which is you buy it on one, you get it on all platforms. Another one is cross-play, meaning, like, a Vita owner could play with a PlayStation 3 owner. And then there's cross-save, which is something that some games do. Uh, I think Sound Shapes does it, where it basically uploads your tiny, uh, so many kilobyte save file to the cloud, and then you can just pull it back down automatically. And that's a really neat feature. But it's definitely not standardized anywhere. Right. I can, I can imagine it being kind of hard with, you know, the platforms being a bit different and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah. Anything else on the topic? 
Um, Addison was saying it, but I do agree that I think the HD remakes are great for people who missed the last generation, uh, or like me, who their PS3s broke, like, three months before Last of Us came out, and so they never got to play it. Um, like, I'm totally down for the, uh, the HD remake. Yeah. And, uh, the thing with a lot of these early-gen remakes is that, at least in the case of The Last of Us, and I think even Wind Waker HD, uh, Naughty Dog and, uh, whichever Zelda team was doing this, were actually doing these remakes, at least partially, as a way to act as a primer for the new HD hardware. Right, to like, get Naughty comfortable Dog, with the hardware, yeah. Sure. Like, Naughty Dog is publicly saying, uh, we're doing this so we can learn the PS4 and we can make uh, Uncharted 4 the best-looking game it can be with the best utilization of the hardware. And I'm pretty sure that's what Wind Waker HD did, too. And from that perspective, it's kind of cool that uh, they're putting this work in for however many months, like a year in Naughty Dog's case, six to eight months or whatever in uh, Wind Waker's case, and we actually get a product that we can buy if we so choose. Like, like that's kind of cool. Like, we get to see, uh, like, if they're doing this, the next game's probably going to be even better from them. Like, the next Zelda's going to be even better looking, and the next Last of, Last of Us or Uncharted's going to be even better looking. So there is a certain appeal to it. From Ray Johnson, what are your thoughts on this recent rumor that Retro is developing Diddy Kong Racing 2? I have not heard of this rumor, and I'm going to quickly Google it, because I thought that was Monster Games. That's uh, what I thought, too. But I am not sure. Uh, do any of you guys, are any of you guys really fond of Diddy Kong Racing? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I loved it. I, I never had Mario Kart 64 back in the day. We we had uh, Diddy Kong, and yeah, that, that was where it was at for me. I thought it was just a superior game. Fighting words, right? Yeah, same here. <laughs> I mean, it depended. I, I much more enjoyed Mario Kart with, like, a full group of four people. Um, but in terms of, like, single-player experience, I mean, far and away, Diddy Kong Racing is so much better. I mean, I just remember, yeah, like, I mean, it's like Mario 64 and Mario Kart combined. I mean, you just have that whole island to explore. You've got the three different vehicles to get around. You're fighting all, like, the hidden areas. You're unlocking new areas of the island for new races. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that, and I don't know, I, I haven't played it in a long time, I didn't play it when they re-released it on DS, so um, I don't know if I would find that annoying now, but I remember just kind of being in awe and like, just the openness of that game, um, I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. And I think, too, isn't that the one that had, um, I think other like racing games have done this, but um, where you could get a power-up, but if you saved it and got matched to the same power-up later, it made it more powerful, right? Am I right, Danny? Uh, like, wasn't the kind of thing where you, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm thinking of something else. I thought it was the kind of thing where you could, like, I remember the red balloons gave you rockets, and if you, like, saved it in yeah, another red balloon, right. yeah, yeah, you'd yeah, get, yeah. like, two rockets, and then eventually, like, a triple rocket, which would just, like, lay waste to everything in front of you. Right, right, right. Yeah, like, there was cool strategy there with the items. Um, and it wasn't as random as, uh, you know, Mario Kart is with the rubber banding. So. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed, yeah, it seemed a little bit more fair, and. Yeah, I think that's why I had more fun with it. Sometimes, you know, Mario Kart, I, I like Mario Kart a lot, but I mean, you know, the rubber banding stuff is annoying. Sometimes just the barrage of items coming in on you just because you're in first place, because you're good <laughs> or something, yeah. you know. That's... You know, with Mario Kart, I, I realized the other day, it's harder in Mario Kart, like on 150cc, to be anywhere from like second 
to like sixth place than it is to be first place because when oh, you're yeah. first place, there, there's nothing that's going to slow you down save for a blue shell or a red shell if you don't have something, you know, a, a banana peel behind you or something. But when you like get hit once and then you like drop to second or third, all of a sudden everyone's passing you and they're hitting you with everything they have. It's so easy to go from like third to ninth like in an oh, instant. Yeah. Um, you're getting I, I... hit by so much stuff from in front of you and behind you. Oh yeah, I totally had that same realization. I, I just got Mario Kart at the beginning of July, and um, yeah, I had the same realization. I was like, if I'm in first, I'm totally fine. And even you know, playing with friends, and yeah, they're getting their butts kicked. They're like, you know, between second and six or something, and they're just getting destroyed. Yeah, I like to think of this like weird abstraction of like communism, where it's like uh, <laughs> you've got like the, like the proletariat on top. We're like untouchable, <laughs> and then yeah, or I'm sorry, the the bourgeoisie on on top, and then you got the proletariat at the bottom, like fighting amongst themselves. When it's like you could just work together and take down the top, but like everyone at the bottom is just fighting with themselves. It's this whole like ninety nine percent, one percent kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I don't know. I just my head's weird, and I thought about that the other day. So I have this story on Wii U Daily that is sourced from this guy who originally wrote the uh, the piece. On the strange development of Diddy Kong Racing 2, Kevin Callahan Games. Uh, According to rumors, a sequel to the popular N64 racer Diddy Kong Racing is in development, and according to rumors, none other than Nintendo's own Retro Studios are making the game in collaboration with Monster Games. And this is from July 12th. So I, I assume this is the exact same story. And they're talking about, like, it was originally on the Wii, but they canceled it, and it has this whole troubled development. And it was almost ready to be announced at E3 this year, but Nintendo pulled back. The reason why Diddy Kong wasn't in Mario Kart 8 was that he was getting his own racing game, Diddy Kong Racing 2, which will reportedly be announced in 2015. So, I'll obviously take this with a grain of salt. I am guessing that none of this is real. <laughs> but just for fun, does uh, does a Diddy Kong Racing 2 Wii U, uh, is, is that appealing to you guys? Is that something you guys really want? I don't even... Uh, really? I, you know, I don't even know if I even want it <laughs> now. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I was just going off on how much I, I like the original one, but I don't know. I mean, for me, Mario Kart 8, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I don't know if I need any more karting. But it depends on what they do with it, really, I guess. Uh, how different is uh, Diddy Kong Racing from Mario Kart? I've never played Diddy Kong Racing. I mean, the core mechanics aren't all that different. What's interesting is that you do have the three vehicle types that you pick at the beginning of the race, and um, and you're you know you're in them the whole time. So you've got carts, you've got hovercrafts, and then you've got uh, airplanes. Um, you know, so you you could have a, a race where everyone's in different vehicles. Um, so that changes things up a bit. Like I said, there's the different strategy with the items where it's almost better to save them and power them up for uh, better use. Um, and then the single player to me is what really makes the difference. That whole single player mode, like I said, where you're exploring this island and slowly unlocking it, uh, a la like Mario 64, um, I just thought was really cool. So, no, I, I would totally be down for more of that. I mean, especially, you know, we talked about it last week or the week before about Mario Kart 8 and sort of, um, you know, Don and Neil's reviews, and I think they came at it from a single player focus. And I do think Mario Kart 8 is very disappointing in terms of single player because, I mean, it's the same stuff. You've got the three, you know, the three circuits, uh, eight cups, and, like, in an afternoon you can already be, like, halfway through it. And it's just all so familiar. But I think Diddy Kong Racing really uh, shakes that up. So I'm excited. I would I would love to see what they what they do with it on modern hardware. 
from Disco Stew. Uh, this is a question I, I'm guessing for Scott directly because uh, I assume he is the only vegan among us four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but does veganism extend to video games? For instance, would you not let your Link character drink lawn lawn milk in Ocarina of Time? <laughs> and then he ended it with a smiley face. I'm not sure why... <laughs> This I'm was just like guessing that was a joke. But. Yeah, well, we asked for this was like this came a, a couple of episodes ago. We asked for questions, and it came like the day after. Like, I, it wasn't even some I tweet. I retweeted something about lactose intolerance of all things, not even veganism, but lactose intolerance, and like it started this whole stupid thing on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this came the next day, so I think he was joking. But no, I you know I don't really care. Um, but I do appreciate when games kind of give you the option or have uh, vegan food in there. I think in Persona you can eat like tofu and stuff like that, um, and obviously Earthbound you name your favorite food. So I mean I could just name my favorite food soy milk and have a big bowl of soy milk uh, before bed every time I go home to visit my mom, um, you know, or anything like that, some seitan or tempeh or uh, you know anything. So uh, no, I don't care. It it doesn't bother me uh, in game. Plus I think you can make a, an argument. Not that I'm. Uh, like like a free range guy, but you can make an argument that the the milk uh, in Ocarina of Time is uh, is free range, um, you know, <laughs> no no GMOs. It, it's it's very natural, and the cow seems very happy. So I think you can make an argument for uh, for the milk in uh, Ocarina of Time. So so let me ask you. So you've been playing Persona Four, and as someone who has also played Persona Four, I know that you can get a lot of food items for uh, it. Usually boosts like some of your. Uh, some of those social stats. And oh, yeah, I yeah. Think you can also use it for health, I think, maybe. Because uh, there are so many food options, both of uh, vegan, vegetarian, and, uh, I guess, carnivorous varieties. Uh, omni- <laughs> omnivorous, I think, is the... Okay, yeah. sure. Uh, do you actively only choose the uh, the vegan options when you have that choice? Like, do you get into it like that? Yeah, now that I probably will do. Like if I if I know like if the items all do relatively the same thing, there's just you just have that choice. So you know there'll be games where it's like you'll go to a shop and there's just like eight different food items you can buy, and maybe they give you you know more health than the other. Um, I probably will like if I see tofu on there, even if it's just for novelty, like pick that or um, pick something vegan. But it doesn't really bother me anywhere. It's not like a conscious decision. It, it's no different than if you looked at that list and go, oh, well, I like this food more than these other foods, so I'm just going to pick this food for the fun of it. Um, it's not like a, yeah, it's not like some, like, social or, like, uh... Well, I mean, immersion, right? Well, yeah, it's just, I'm more thinking, like, oh, like, this food sounds good What would to I me. do? Yeah, not like, oh, like, this is my stance as I'm playing this game. It's just like, oh, I would want to eat this, so this is what I'm going to pick, so... Well, Scott, let me ask you a serious question. Sure. So, if you're playing Ninja Turtles 3 on the NES, would you just avoid getting the pizza because it might have meat on it? I would rather die than know that some cow died for me to live. Yeah, right. You don't even get the hearts in Zelda? (laughs) Who knows where those hearts came from, man? You don't know. We don't don't ask these tough questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think we should. Are fairies trapped in a bottle? That's pretty cruel. Yeah. And where do they go when they heal you? What, do they die? Yeah, apparently. Come on. From James T. How do you guys feel about the Oracle games? I'm working on season now. Haven't started up ages. Kinda meh. I I wonder if that's his opinion on it, or if that's just what he's heard, and uh, he's throwing it at us. I played some of one of the Oracle games, whichever one's the action-focused one. 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly which one. I think it was Christmas Eve when I wanted something to play, and I was feeling generous with my money to <laughs> myself. <laughs> so I went on the eShop, and I uh, I was like, yeah, I never played this. I like Link's Awakening a lot, and I picked it up. And I thought it was just like the game was a lot like Link's Awakening, but more of that. I mean, it was made by the same Capcom people, and uh, I thought it had all the same stuff I liked about Link's Awakening. I, I don't know. What do you guys think of the Oracle games? I have both of them on my 3D. Wait, 3DS, right? Yes, yep. on my 3DS, and I have not yep. played either of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never played them. To me, what what was the most interesting aspect was just that the way that they could link together to unlock what like the final dungeon, I think. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I they they never struck me as being interesting enough. Um. To like make me go out of my way to pick them up before, and even now being on the eShop and being relatively easy to get, um, I still haven't bothered. So, I don't know. Just this never interested me. I wouldn't say meh. I mean, they aren't my favorite, but they're not my least favorite. Um, they are very different stylistically from a lot of the other Zelda games. It takes a lot from Ocarina of Time, obviously, because it came out after that, but just, what does it take from it, if you don't mind me asking? Um, there's like the windmill guy. Uh, which who, one? Who does the Song of Storms. Okay. And then there's just like some of the landmarks are similar. It's kind of like um, if y'all play Minish Caps, you can kind of feel like some of the influence of Wind Waker is there. Yeah, I, I feel a tiny bit of Wind Waker and Minish Cap. I I get it, but. Kind of how you there's like two worlds, but not in like a traditional Zelda way in Oracle Seasons. It, I think it's worth playing through just because it's kind of a unique title for the series, and it doesn't really. It kind of takes its own path with the story and everything. Um, when we did our mini reviews for uh, Link Between Worlds, I said that it wasn't even in the top five best playable Zelda games on that system, so. By that standard, I would say that it is a better game than Link Between Worlds. Um, I think it's worth checking out if you are a Zelda fan, which if you would get into these, I think you are. So, just form your own opinion. Play both of them. Don't give up. <laughs> it is, I, I just think it's so cool that you can get full Zelda games on the eShop for like six bucks. Yeah, yeah. A, a number of them, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of um, pre-order bonuses... At GameStop, when you pre-order Link Between Worlds, you got Oracle Seasons download code for free. Oh. All right, so jump on that, guys. <laughs> it's not yeah, too late. Go out to your local GameStop, retroactively pre-order it. Yeah, I don't see the problem it. here. <laughs> uh, and lastly, in our tweets, from Peter Lopez, can you tell us a little about your day jobs? Uh, I'm... Interested in what you have to say, Scott, because you it feels like you've been jumping from day job to jade to jade to day job lately. Like sometimes I, I hear like you're doing this freelance thing and then like sometimes you're talking about completely different stuff. I'm interested in what you have to say. <laughs> uh well yeah, I am freelancing completely right now. Um so I do a few different things. Um I just wrapped up a big project for this um web store that mostly sells like green like environmentally friendly products 
Um, they were rebooting their whole web store. So pretty much this whole summer, I've been writing, rewriting all their um, product descriptions for like 7,000 different products that they sell. Um, so That's they it? were, yeah. <laughs> so they were using um, just the stock descriptions that came from the, uh, you know, whatever companies made the products, but they wanted to do something unique to them that would um, basically drive up more uh, clicks and make it more searchable on Google, things like that, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, since, like, April, I've been working on that um, pretty regularly. Um, and then I'm still going to stick around with them and do um, weekly vlogs about those products um, since, you know, I am vegan and stuff. There's a lot that falls under that umbrella that I can talk about um, with my family and stuff. So I've been doing that. Um, I do the, you know, I do reviews at IGN. Usually I do about one a month to two, sometimes up to two a month, uh, depending just on the release schedule and stuff. My last one was Pushmo World, and I'll be uh, reviewing uh, Siesta Fiesta uh starting tomorrow actually um so there is that and then i've got just different little like odds and ends things that i i find online different little uh writing projects that are usually pretty short um i have been working for or looking for more content writing uh lately since my big summer one just ended so i've been had a few job interviews in chicago and stuff so uh we'll see what happens there but as for right now yeah just working completely from home every day uh it's pretty fun and you're in a, you're a uh, English major? Yeah. That, has that helped you get those jobs? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean most places you look um you know, like the first requirement is you have to have a bachelor's degree and then usually on top of that it's experience. Um now luckily like doing stuff uh I just graduated in May, but um doing like Nintendo World Report and then starting IGN last year, I have like a lot of experience already writing for the web because of those things. So um, even though I just graduated, I also have like years of writing experience already, so it, it's worked pretty well. So, um, yeah, anyone who wants to like really write for a living, um, you don't, you know, there's some places you don't have to have a college degree, and I don't think it's required if you if you're really going to pursue uh, writing about video games specifically. Most video game things I've applied for don't even really care if you have a degree. <laughs> I mean, it's nice if you do, but it's it's definitely not a requirement. But anything outside of that realm, like any writing position, is going to want you to have a bachelor's degree uh, in English uh, or marketing or PR or something like that. So, yeah, I, it's definitely worth worth pursuing. It, it's opened a lot of doors, that's for sure. What about you, Danny? So, as a, a lot of you know, I live and work in Japan as an English teacher. And, yeah, I think I've talked about this before on the Famicast. And, um, yeah, but... My position is called an assistant language teacher, and my primary duties are in uh, elementary schools and junior high schools. And, you know, it's kind of different. Like at junior high schools, I'm, I'm very much the assistant to a Japanese teacher who is explaining grammar points to the kids in Japanese and uh, stuff like that. Uh, so it's not like it's hard. It's just like I'm working on, like, helping them with pronunciation and just making sure they're spelling their stuff correctly and stuff like that. And at elementary school, it's a little bit more fun because it's, it, we're focusing a lot more on like communication. Um, so yeah, so with fifth and sixth graders, particularly because we go, I go there like once a week or something and just kind of working on just simple things like I like this or that, or I can blah, 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 like that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, just like doing that type of thing. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I really like working with kids and, I can always talk to them about video games because, you know, come on, kids love games too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm basically like a big junior high school student who makes money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's about like what I am. But uh, now it's, you know, if any of you guys out there want to come to Japan, like it's, it's 
definitely doable. You, if as long as you have some kind of a college degree, it doesn't even matter what it's in. I mean, my degree is in history, and <laughs> I'm an English teacher now, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely doable and not hard. So, what kind of games do these kids like? Because on eight four, I hear everyone talking about line. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot. Uh, there's shit like Yokai Watch and Monster Hunter. What, what kind of games are your kids talking about? Oh yeah, lots of Yokai Watch, especially within like the past like six seven months, um, because like an anime was released and it, it just totally blew up. And the, the first game, it, it's just sold crazy, like here in Japan, over like a million. The, the sequel just came out. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, so I'm pretty sure that thing is going bananas too. But yeah, yeah, th- I mean, th- it seems like that's for a lot of like younger kids, like elementary school kids. But like you know, older kids, a lot of them play Monster Hunter, and you know, a lot of kids play smartphone games, stuff with Line because Line, it's I, I guess isn't it getting kind of popular in the West too? I can get it right now on my uh, Android if I want. Uh huh. Like, and and it's highly downloaded. Like, it's a, uh, it's kind of like a text client. Yeah. Like a texting client, but it also has game compatibility and stuff, well, I think. It's, it's, yeah, what it is, it uses, like, I guess using the line system or something, you, you log in and all your friends and your friend list, you, you know, it's like attached to that type of stuff. So, like, it's like a separate application for, like, per game. Like, this game is this oh. application, but you sign in with your line information and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, that stuff's super popular here. Um, yeah, it's just usually, like, simple puzzle stuff, you know. And uh, before I move on to Addison, I have to know, especially since me and Scott have been talking about it lately, is Dark Souls a thing? Is is that a big thing in Japan? You know, I don't really hear too much people talking about it. I think the type of people that play Dark Souls are the type of people that have Dark Souls and never leave their house. <laughs> <laughs> so, the people who won't be in elementary school. Yeah, you, I don't. It'd, it'd be hard pressed to find an elementary schooler playing Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's Japan. <laughs> it, it is. It is. I mean, it, it's, it happens. There's like some of my. I think some of my elementary school kids play GTA Five. I mean, it's pretty weird. Wow. Hell yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, and Addison, what about you? Uh, I work as a graphic designer for CustomInc.com. The t-shirt company. So when people order t-shirts online, they upload photos and stuff. I make everything look pretty and ready to print. Wow. And that's why I spend my free time making pictures of Reggie fils in a cowboy hat, <laughs> dual-wielding 3DSs. So. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was and awesome. I went to college for that. <laughs> yeah, if anyone hasn't seen that, go find Addison on Twitter. I retweeted it, but if you haven't seen it, he made... Uh, some great artwork for, I guess it was last week's episode of Listener Mail we did, or maybe two, I get them all mixed up now, but, yeah, um, of, of Reggie joking about his, um, his holster he uses for his 2DS's, his, his work 3DS and his home 3DS, so it's, uh, it's very good. So, of all the websites that do this, uh, upload something and print it, would you say that the website you work for is one of the larger ones? Yeah, I think we're probably, the biggest when it comes to t-shirts all right so we've got a couple of websites we can do like fundraiser type stuff so it's really cool so if anybody out there needs t-shirts made shameless plug make us some connectivity shirts yeah do they ship internationally um we're starting to get into canada but not Japan. No. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll put in a special request. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll see what we can do. But, yeah, 
We can get some Reggie Fusime cowboy t-shirts. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we can get a whole classroom of Danny students wearing our connectivity shirts. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, I, I do not work right now. I'm 19 years old. It is my summer vacation. He's a baby. I am gearing up to uh, transfer from a community college nearby in Worcester, Mass, to uh, Emerson in Boston. For a degree in journalism, I'm going to be paying an irresponsible amount of money uh, to <laughs> well, go after. That's, uh, that's why you started the community college, man. That's exactly what I did. Well, here's the thing. The community college is like 3K a year, uh, like at most, which isn't that bad to get like the gen eds out of the way. But uh, Emerson is a gratuitous amount of money that I'm uncomfortable even mentioning. <laughs> uh, let me say this. The amount I would start off with in a year as a journalist, assuming those jobs even exist anymore, <laughs> would be less than I have to pay for. Oh, it would man. be about the same as a semester, I think. I would make it a year for about a semester of this college. But I, I, I don't know. Like, journalism just seems like the proper degree for me, I think. Not just for video games, but because... Uh, my eyes are, like, sort of set on radio, and even though you don't really need a degree to get into radio, if I was going to get one degree, it would probably be this one, and it would probably be from Emerson. I don't know. And then there's an appeal of just going to school in Boston in general. Oh, for I sure. That's probably the biggest reason no, I'm doing I, this. I think you'll have fun. I mean, that sounds awesome. I, if you can, I think you should consider minoring in PR um, or some yeah. kind of, like, marketing writing. Um, I think there's a lot of that out there and if you can't find something specifically tied to journalism you'll for sure be able to find like copywriting work um, or follow us yeah. fails follow us fails colonial american history yeah then you can go <laughs> teach english in japan yeah. <laughs> it's good if you like develop other skills i mean i was a journalism major in college and i work in graphic design because my school made us learn that stuff as part of journalism so when i wasn't able to find a job doing that i had a backup plan so oh there you go works out well sure yeah uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, most places like that, like that, request a journalism degree. I don't know. I'm I'm not worried about it right now. Like I know how to do stuff online now, which should give me at least some slight edge in my imagination <laughs> over the people who are still applying for uh, print newspapers. I don't know. College is like a weird, exciting, scary thing in general. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But no, you're doing the right thing. I mean, I think being involved in Nintendo World Report and other things, um, that that's the way to do it. Like I said, because then you've got experience coming out of the gate, uh, you know, combined with your, your education, and that's good. And it shows that you're versatile. I mean, it, it you can put that together and show all the different writing that you could do, um, and that, that'll go a long way, too, so... Sure. Uh, we have two more emails to close this out with. Uh, from Alex, a different Alex. We got this email uh, just a couple more, just a couple minutes before recording. Do you guys think that if Smash Bros. is delayed until next year, Nintendo would release downloadable Mario Kart 8 tracks to push sales more? Also, what tracks would you like to see uh, get the Mario Kart 8 treatment for downloadable tracks? I don't think Smash Bros. is going to be delayed until next year. The very idea that Smash Bros. doesn't make it this year is terrifying to me, and <laughs> probably even more terrifying to Nintendo. Yeah, if it slipped, then like the Wii U has nothing for Christmas, and that that is bad. Um, I, but I have to admit, I could see it happening. I mean, the 3DS version being delayed all the way till October 
does have me a little worried that it could slip to like February uh, next year, um, which would be bad, but I could really see it happening. It seems weird now. I, we were kind of pitched that the 3DS version was going to be the summer game, and then the Wii U version would be the winter game, but now they're going to be like, what, a month and a half apart if we're assuming that Smash launches just before Thanksgiving? Um, I don't know. But I, I guess to his uh, his question here, do I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you guys think downloadable content really pushes sales, or do you think it's the kind of thing that just encourages people not to sell the game after they beat it? I'm of the mind it, that it's the latter. It yeah. pushes supplemental sales. It doesn't push the initial this game. Because the point of DLC is to buy more content for a game you already like. I don't think anyone will buy a game just for the DLC. Right. Like, I mean, what, what, there's what, probably what? some situation like that can happen that I'm not thinking of. Like maybe there's some crazy PC expansion to a Civilization game where you really want the expansion, but you don't care that much about the base game. I I'm I'm just. But most cases, like the DLC is something you want after you've already enjoyed the game. Right. I'm sure right. there's you can think of examples or come up with ideas of DLC that could spur you to buy the. Uh, the original game, but is a new track in Mario Kart 8 what's going to do that? No. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, people who want Mario Kart 8 want it because of the mechanics or own it because of the mechanics. People who don't want Mario Kart 8 also don't want it because of the mechanics. Right. If they don't, so... if they don't like Mario Kart 8, they're not going to like Mario Kart 8 with more tracks. Now that said, oh, right. I do like Mario Kart 8, and I would love if some downloadable tracks came to Mario Kart 8. I would love like a whole nother cup. That would be amazing. He also I asks. Think... Oh no, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. Mine's slightly off topic. Okay, well, no, I was just go... gonna say to his point, he um he asks what tracks we'd like to see get brought to Mario Kart 8, and the only omission that I can think of that has never been brought to another Mario Kart game uh, since it originally appeared is uh the Wario stage from Mario Kart 64. Um, now that stage is kind of broken. It was like notorious for like being able to like hit ramps and like uh, go like way off course and jump walls. Um, but yeah, it seems like stuff they could just fix now. So oh, I don't yeah. know why they uh, haven't re-released that on any any of the games in any of the retro cups. But that also seems like a straight up ATV course in a lot of ways. Just looking <laughs> at that course now, like it seems like the reason they don't do it is because it didn't necessarily fit so much with Mario Kart to begin with. And uh, I, I'm sure there's some way they can make it work. Like, people want everything. People love their nostalgia. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me that this the Wario Stadium... I, I think it's Wario Stadium, right? Is that what it's called? Well, I know... I think I think the, the one in Mario Kart 8, the new stage, is called Wario Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it's not uh, a new we, stage. Maybe it's, the same it's a GameCube. Like, it's the GameCube one, yeah. Oh, Okay. That might be the one you're. That might be the one you're thinking of. It's because that one too feels like an ATV course. I mean, it's not much yeah, different than the N64 one. I mean, it's still like mud paths, lots of like bumps in the road and hills and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But that that Wario uh, um, Mario Kart 64 one was just great. And it's it's just the I think I want to say it's the only level from Mario Kart 64 that hasn't been brought over. I'm almost actually popular. the the one I was thinking of. I think actually has been in Mario Kart DS at least. Like like the. Uh... The Dirt Stadium one. I I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, but there there have been uh, tracks like that at least. Oh yeah, in, like I said, there there is one in Mario Kart Eight that is yeah from the the GameCube game. 
um, crossed over. Yeah, that um, they that they redesigned for Mario Kart Eight. But um, yeah, that's that's the only one I can think of. I I mean, what about you guys? Does anyone have a favorite Mario Kart track that hasn't been in Mario Kart Eight that you'd like to see? Uh, I just... Baby Park. Oh god. Oh yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would be cool. That one was just so crazy. <laughs> yeah. That was this pretty tiny good. this tiny little course where you're like racing in a circle basically and you have to do what it was five laps instead of three, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, right. What a weird yeah, that's cool. I'd like to see them do more stuff like that. Like I love the um the Wario Mount Wario, I guess is maybe what it's called. In Mario Kart eight where it's just all downhill. There's no uh, Oh yeah. There's no laps. You it's just that you race from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain. Like that's so cool. Right. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing, like, uh, what, Donut Plains 3 or something, I guess, and uh, that, like, the Super Nintendo stuff, like, totally, completely recreated in 3D and stuff, and in HD. It just looks amazing. I want to see more Super Nintendo tracks, personally. Yeah. I, I feel like Mario Kart uh, retro class, uh, retro tracks, feel like a missed opportunity. Uh, I kind of wish they would pull a Sonic Lost World and do tracks based on other Nintendo franchises if they're not just going to go straight in on Nintendo Kart. Because if they're willing to put in the effort and they're willing to make the new assets, I don't see why they wouldn't just go all out with it and make tracks that are as original as the ones that already exist in the game. Like, I, I don't like the idea of only going back to other classic courses to uh, to remake them and put that out as DLC. This feels like something they could do that actually would get me a little more interested in maybe buying Mario Kart 8. Like, if there was a crazy three-pack of Zelda or a crazy three-pack of Donkey Kong Country Returns in addition to the one or two they already have in the series. Put or, uh, or Pokemon, right? Like, yeah, that would be just awesome. All Driving around Hyrule That field. would make awesome <laughs> tracks that have tons of inspiration. That Nintendo could do for cool seven to five dollar DLC. And lastly, to close out our already over an hour recording. Hey guys. So in the past couple of months I went back to Xenoblade Chronicles with the aim of completing it before the release of the sequel on Wii U. I imagine that I would finish the game right around the time of the new game came out, given how long Xenoblade is. Yet as I type this email, I have just saved the game before what I believe is the final showdown. I know I could go ahead and close things out now, but there is a part of me that doesn't want this 80-hour journey to end. Despite the fact that 80 hours is an absurd amount of time to spend on any single-player game, I still want it to keep going because I have loved the experience so much. So with all the preamble out of the way, let's get to my question. Have any of you ever deliberately delayed finishing a game because you didn't want it to end? If so, I would be interested to hear what those games were. Thanks for producing what is consistently one of the best Nintendo podcasts around. Love what you guys do each week. NBZ. P.S. Looking forward to the Doctor Who bonus segments this year. What, what? So Scott can give himself yeah. a little pat on the back. That's right. <laughs> uh, any of you guys got an answer for this? Yeah, well, I mean, it related to Xenoblade Chronicles, which I felt this way with that game, but pretty much any RPG for me, um, I feel like any game where you're spending, you know, tens upon tens of hours uh, to complete it, and you meet this sort of eccentric cast that's memorable. I mean, once you get to kind of the end, you, you don't want it uh, You don't want it to be over. I mean, I felt that way I mean, since I was ki- a kid. I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles Now and the games like Earthbound and Chrono Trigger when I was a kid, 
Um, it's just sort of like bittersweet when it's over. You feel some sense of accomplishment, but then you're like, well, that's it for these beloved characters. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same type of thing with uh, Bravely Default and um, a game that I bought twice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, it was the same type of thing. I was actually reviewing it um, for um, Nintendo Force, and I was playing the hell out of it in like a really short period of time. So, you know, it was like in two weeks or something, you know, you play like 60 hours of a game. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, right? But And then try to have a social life on top of that, too. Um, and, yeah, it just got to the point where it's like, man, now I don't really want this to end. I love, like, these characters, and, uh, you know, I like this battle system. I like everything about this, and it just sucks that it has to come to an end. But, you know, I, I had to beat it, <laughs> so I did. But, yeah, I, I would have loved just to draw it out. And Actually, um, I convinced one of my friends to buy it. And, you know, I know that, you know, it's kind of uh, maybe a bit divisive. Not everybody really cares for, you know, Bravely Default, but... um my buddy, I told him about it, he's playing it, and he's pretty far into the game, but he hasn't been playing it for a couple months, because he's like, dude, I just don't want it to end. I, mean, I get it, you know, that's sometimes the way it is. I just think it's a sign of a game that you're really enjoying, if you feel that way. Um, Mario 3D World, I didn't realize there'd be so much post-game content, that would be extremely difficult. So when I got to the end of that, I was like, oh man, this is sad, because I'm really loving this. Um, Final Fantasy 7 is another one that I delayed beating because there's so much side content to that game that I wanted to just get it all done. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I guess I am the odd man out here because I've at least had an irresponsible amount of time since entering college. So, and, and I have a weird binge thing, uh, in playing games in general. Even the games I've been looking forward to for years, like GTA 5 and I finally get the chance to play it, I end up beating that game uh, in a span of, like, five days because of how much fun I'm having. Like, I just have no restraint at all. Dark Souls 2, Xenoblade, I beat those in two weeks like nothing. Uh, it's it's just how I enjoy games. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm having less of an experience. I just feel like I'm getting a more concentrated experience and a fewer amount of days. And I can always go back and play it, like... Persona 4, I beat that both times in, like, a couple weeks. I, I don't know. That's just how I prefer to enjoy games. And, like, if the more I enjoy a game, the faster I will beat it. It's the games that I only kind of like that I end up stretching out over, like, a week or two. Like, when I just feel like going back. I, I don't know. To each their own. So, that will do it for this segment. Thank you for joining me, guys. And you can ask us any question you want at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Additionally, if you would like to follow us on tit on not Titter, <laughs> but Twitter, uh, you can find Scott at OK, the letters OK in the word soda, Danny Bivens at Danny Biv, D-A-N-N-Y, Biv, Addison Webb at Roweba, R-W-E-B-B-A, and you can find me at Kulafia, my last name, and then the letter A. Thank you for listening. Thank you to you guys for joining me. And goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
hey, and welcome to another Game of the Week segment with uh, me, Neil Ronahan, and I guess as always for this, at least for now, Zach Miller. Hey! Um, so this time we're going to talk about a, a game that's actually uh, close to five years old. Um, hey! If we're, if we're tracking the original release of it, at least the relevant release here, that's a Miramasa the Demon Blade, uh-huh. which came out in fall of 2009 on the Wii. And the reason why we're talking about it is because at least I've been playing it more on the Vita because Miramasa Rebirth came out last year and was a PS Plus game last month. Oh, it was. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it was a game that I was kind of keeping an eye on at sales, and I think it was like seven fifty at one point, but I oh, passed wow. on it and it worked out because I got it on PS Plus. Nice. Um, but Miramasa is a uh, like a two D beat 'em up from the guys who made Odin Sphere, uh, yep. Vanillaware. They also did Dragon's Crown recently. I don't... Outside of Miramasa, did they ever make another Nintendo game? Uh, no, I don't think they did. They're, they're yeah, best. Yeah, because they did the best. Saturn game before? Uh, uh, yeah, it was called Shut Up, Shut Up, Princess Crown. Yeah, Princess Crown. And then Dragon's Crown was uh, the, the PS3 Vita game that came out. Uh, I think that was last year. Vita and PS3, yeah. Cross, yeah. cross uh, compatible. Sort of. Like, I think you still had to buy them separately. Oh, you did, yeah. Crossplay worked, yeah. Um, so yeah, so Miramasa is this beautiful, gorgeous, uh, 2D beat em up where, at least as far as I'm concerned, is that like you go around doing some fighting, but for the most part, you're walking around being like, look at this goddamn artwork. Yes. And the music is phenomenal too. Yeah. It's a very atmospheric game and it really, it, it knows what it is going into it. And it's very, um, uh, I like how evocative it is of Japan. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the characters, I'm not a, a, on my Japanese mythology, but I think that a lot of the characters there, um, you know, play into Japanese mythology. And yeah. some of the bosses are ridiculous. Yes. Um, I mean, it's just like these really, like, kind of like crazy visuals. It's like weird heads bouncing around and like there's a snake. Bigger than the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's a really fun game to kind of just zone out to, I found. And that's what I found when I played it on, uh, on Wii back in 2009. Yep. And when I've been playing it on Vita, uh, now, I mean, it's just a fun game to kind of kick back and slice some dudes up. Back when I got it on Wii, uh, I got through Momohime's campaign and then yep. I stopped, uh, and then I started playing Kisuke's campaign, but then I, I just kind of, was like this is the same thing. Yeah, I mean uh, that's kind of how it but is. But on the, on the Vita, I've played through both, <laughs> um, and I've been getting. Once you beat both of them, you can go through each other's campaigns and with the other character and beat the other guy's bosses. <laughs> and that's how you get a lot of uh, of the swords. Although I've yeah. I'm at a point now where I can't get any more swords, and it's pissing me off because I can see Why? them, I just can't get them. Why? Is there like an unlock thing that you have to I, do? Or? I don't know. I need to read up on it. But I have 96 swords, so that's probably enough. Yeah, because there's 108 in total. And I yeah. guess kind of going in more into this game is that there are two campaigns. There's a there's a female character who I think is like, what is it? She's possessed by a demon? She, yeah, she's a, a um, uh, what, what do you call it? Not a prostitute over there, but... Um, geisha? Geisha. She's a geisha who is possessed geisha. by geisha. a... A fallen sa- evil samurai. Yeah, it's a weird story. And then the uh, 
the the male character is I think uh, like a amnesiac criminal. Yeah, something like that. I I didn't really I stopped paying attention pretty quick with yeah, the storyline. Yeah, uh, that's actually kind of I I guess it's kind of funny because we both remember it the same way. Is that I remember the uh, Momohime's campaign way more than I remember uh, Kasuki's because it's yeah. just kind of like. Yeah, whatever you don't remember, I don't need to remember either. Let's just go and slice some dudes up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, I, I'm a little disappointed, honestly, that their campaigns don't um, cross at all, the stories. Yeah. Like, that would be cool if they kind of, like, ran into each other at some point during the game. Yeah. Like, I thought that there was a moment where they where they do in the, like, like there's, I guess, to show how Japanese this game is. Um, you find Oh, these... you're right. In a, yeah, in one yeah. of the caves, the bath caves. Yeah. You basically, like, you find the, uh, I forgot what the animals are. Monkeys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Monkeys. And they lead you to, uh, like, hidden, um, hidden springs. Yeah. That then you can heal. And the two characters will run into each other then. Yeah. You're but right. But it's just kind of like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, Kasuki will go in there and be like, what are you doing here? And then that's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple times when they run into each other there. Yeah, though. that's true. You're right. Um, and then, uh, the other kind of hook to this game is that there's all these blades that you can forge. Yes. Um, you start off with three on each side and you kind of need to beat each side to even get to a point where you can think about getting all 108. Uh, and you just forge them by, uh, you know, eating food, which, uh, gives you spirit, I think. And then, yeah. and then fighting dudes with, which gives you soul. Right. Um, I don't really know how they came up with that, where, you know, eating food gives you spirit, killing <laughs> people gives you some soul. Right. You you absorb um, their souls, maybe. Yes. Uh, and you get all these different swords, and they all have really cool names, and they get stronger in power, but they have, like, uh, these special attacks that seem to be kind of repetitive. Like, there's, yeah. like a, there's about, like, ten of them or something, and you just kind of go through them all yeah. multiple times. Um, but I... I really enjoy this game, just as kind of, uh, you know, just, it's almost, it's not the most engaging gameplay, but it's just kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't, like, you can, you can play it on the harder difficulty level. There's two unlocked at the, at the the beginning, where if you go on the easier one, it it is kind of just like a romp through the game, whereas the, the harder one, you know, you need to employ a little more strategy, but even still, there's not like that much to it, but it's still, no, and, and you can switch between the difficulties whenever you want. Yeah, which like is you, nice. You, I, li- I like that kind of that kind of freedom. Like Wind Waker HD did that really well. Yeah, they yeah. They have the uh, the hero mode and the regular mode, and you can switch on them on a dime, which I prefer having that uh, that option in games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I um, I find you're you're right. The combat's repetitive, and I mean, really, it's a repetitive game. The, the thing that bugs me the most is uh, there are very few warp points. Yeah, and you um, just have to walk. You're just walking forever everything. through, and and there's some ninjas, and oh, I gotta kill the ninja. You don't have to yeah. kill the ninjas, but well, you, you should. sometimes you do. Sometimes it kind of like locks your screen, and you have to kill them before you leave. True. Uh, there are other times where they show up, and then you can just leave, and they, it doesn't care. Yeah. But it's yep. it's it, the you music know, changes, and you're like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's the. The toughest part of the game for me is once you've unlocked the whole map, if you want to go fight another boss, you got to walk the whole way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and even... It's uh, kind of old. 
Because as you get through the game, kind of the the gates that you get, I mean, not really in a... Oh, yeah, the stupid friggin' gates. It's literally just like, you can now slice green walls. Yeah. um, But then, like, you can go back and find, like, a hidden cave where it's basically like a kill room that uh, then you can get more experience and complete some trophies. um, Some of those are really hard. The Vita version. Um, yeah, yeah, some of them are, and they always give you, like, a level recommendation, because you do level up your character True. in this game, to, uh, you know, get stronger incrementally. Um, yeah, and it's just a lot of backtracking if you want to get through it, and there really aren't too many warp points to kind of get, get around, and everything starts to look the same after a while. It all looks really pretty. Right. But when it all starts looking the same... Uh, that's why, like, I feel like this game kind of overstays its welcome, especially because you have the two campaigns yeah. that are very, very similar. The bosses are all really fun across the board, though. Yeah, the bosses are all different. Yep. Um, which is nice. But, yeah, you, you explore the exact same territory. There are yeah. a few instances where it's the an environment will be character-specific. Um, for example, Kisuke visits a... Um, uh, a battlefield uh, where there's a lot of smoke and flags waving and dead bodies all over the place. And it's really cool. But uh, uh, Momohime never goes there. Instead, she'll go to, you know, a, uh, I think she goes to hell and Kasuke never does. Yeah. Um, so there's things like that, but um, you're still walking left to right or right to left and <laughs> killing monsters. Now, uh, I guess before we get into the a little bit of the Vita specific stuff for anyone that's interested, um Miramasa does kind of have an interesting history. Um it's uh you know made by uh Vanillaware and Marvelous Entertainment, which some people might know now as now Marvelous is I, I believe they own Xseed at this point. Huh. Um but there was kind of some funny business with Miramasa back in uh I guess 2008 was when it was first announced that Xseed said that they were bringing it over. Um, and it was, yeah. you know, kind of a big get because, you know, Odin Sphere was a niche game, but a very well, well received and celebrated niche game. Yeah. Um, and then a couple months after that, I believe it was, uh, spring 2009 was when, uh, Xseed said that, hey, no, we're not publishing Miramasa, the Demon yeah. Blade. And instead Ignition Entertainment, uh, which I think they're RIP at this point, or at least I think they might only make mobile games now. They're oh, still around. Um, but Ignition Entertainment, uh, assumed publishing duties and then released it in the fall. Yeah. Um, on a, on a related note, Axis Games wound up publishing the Vita version. I don't even, I can't even begin <laughs> to comprehend that and what happened there. I know, right? It's just so um, weird. But I, I did actually do a little research before this to kind of refresh my memory of what happened with that, uh, with Ignition and Xseed. And basically what happened was that Xseed kind of had a sweetheart deal with Marvelous because they were, they were kind of partners at the time. And now it's a, a little more than that. Um, I forget exactly. I, I, people can correct me all they want. I will probably yeah. look this up right after we record and correct myself. Um, but I know that my, 99% sure that Marvelous now owns Xseed. Uh, okay. At the time, in 2009, they did not. Um, but Xseed and Marvelous kind of had a sweetheart deal where Xseed would kind of get the opportunity to bring over a lot of niche games that Marvelous worked on. Um, but what happened with this was that Ignition put together a really good offer to publish it. Um, they probably 
ended up paying more money than they should have, as evidenced by the <laughs> fact that Ignition isn't around anymore. Because yeah. um, I don't think, I think Miramasa came out in 2009, which was like, well, not maybe not the beginning of the end for the Wii, but the beginning of any kind of third-party game succeeding on the Wii. Yeah. Um, which uh, I guess you could argue if they ever really succeeded, but Red Steel did really well, so who knows? Well, it was a launch game. There was nothing yeah. else to play. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ignition put together a really good offer to Marvelous to publish the game in North America, and Marvelous selected with them, and Exceed kind of got left out in the cold a little bit. But I guess ultimately, Exceed might have had the last laugh, because mm. they're still around. They're yeah. publishing the new Harvest Moon game that's not a Harvest Moon game. <laughs> and Ignition, uh, there will be no remix edition to Ignition, <laughs> as far as I know. Although it would be pretty cool if they came back, and they're like, guess what, we're publishing, publishing console games again. It's the remix edition of Ignition. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. Yeah, so now uh, the Vita version, uh, which, well, now it's not on PS Plus anymore, as far as I know. Um, but it has some new content. And I realized uh, that the new content is all DLC. So, yeah. Zach, I know you've bought some of the DLC. What's up with this new content? So the, the new content is not, it doesn't have anything to do with... Uh, Kasuke or Momohime. In fact, it's separate new from characters. the main game entirely. Yeah, because <clears throat> there's four, like, chapters or whatever that all three. star new characters. Okay, three. Yeah, three. Uh, one is uh, The Fishy Tale of the Nakamura. Um, I forget what the second one's called, and I don't have the third one yet. But they all star completely different characters with different art and do they control differently at all? They control all? very differently. That's kind of cool. <clears throat> it is. Um, it really, and they have their own, for the most part, their own levels. Um, yeah. They'll go through some repetitious environments, but, but then they all have their own kind of, uh, main areas too. But, so the first one, <clears throat> you play as a, a girl who's accompanying her brother to deliver a teacup to, <laughs> I, I don't know, a, a, a lord somewhere. And they are killed by assassins on the way. Uh, I haven't gotten too far into the dark. story. I, I honestly stopped paying attention. But she, her body is um, kind of taken over by a cat spirit. And so she can switch between three fighting styles. She doesn't have swords. She goes from a cat girl who uses, like, claws, big claws, like Wolverine claws on her hands, to... An actual cat, where you're fighting monsters as a like, cat. Like house cat? Or like, like a house Jaguar. cat, a tabby cat. Okay. And then once you build up enough, you know, soul or whatever, you can turn into a, it's just so great, it's a giant cat head made up of cats. Okay, I think I kind of need to get this DLC. This and sounds better than the actual game. It, it both... It has two attacks. It can spit fireballs, and it can swirl all the cats in a what the you know fuck? rapid spin attack. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Um, uh, and the first boss you fight this this is where I'm at in the game because it's kind of I've hit a wall with him. The first boss is a rac- a shape shifting raccoon who has a ball sack that's bigger than he is. And what he bounces fuck? around on it. So it's like that episode of South Park? It is. 
<laughs> but he's constantly changing form. Like his main form is this raccoon spirit who has, you know, you have to knock knock the energy bars off of his other forms in order to get back to him. Like, like part of me thinks that you're just pulling my leg and making this up. No, sir. <laughs> that but it's, is the, it's so out that there that, that I'm like, no, he, of the he could not have made this up. It's too out there. It really is. Um, um, and then yeah, the I se- might. I think I might get this DLC now. <laughs> and the second episode DLC is like just as crazy, but in a different way. Uh, it's it's about a a little like a, a village, uh, a farming village, and the government's going to the lo- local lord or whoever is going to raise taxes on them, but they can't. They can't do it, and uh, they can't afford the taxes. So this one guy, this one farmer, and all of his bumbling friends decide to rebel. And they all look like Simpsons characters. Like, like <laughs> I'm not kidding, Muramasa versions of Simpsons characters. And and they're all kind of stumbling around, and, and they're very exaggerated in their motions. And he can switch between his hoe and a, a bamboo ho, ho, staff. Ho. And uh, a sickle. <laughs> and every time you switch weapons, if if you wait long enough between switches, when you switch weapons, he calls in one of his buddies. So you can have up to like three friends, which are basically three clones of your character all attacking at the same time. And they all look <laughs> different. So it's it's a really funny game. I, I, I like the DLC... It's really keeping the game alive for me, and I haven't played the third one yet, but I, I probably will. Yeah, no, I, I think I might get this DLC now. <clears throat> they are. I find that the Fishy Tales of Nakamura is significantly harder than the main game, uh, the main Muramasa game, just because you you uh, it seems it it seems like your weapons run out of energy a lot faster. You know how your sword will break in the main yeah. game? So you don't, like, you can't... Because, sw- yeah, there is there is a mechanic in this game where you have three swords active at one time and you can right. switch between them because as you uh, use special powers and uh, reflect Absorb damage, yeah. Um, then your sword gets weaker. Um, and so, it'll break, and then it's basically powerless. Right, and in this, in the, in the, in this Catwoman, the example with Catwoman is... If she absorbs too much damage, her sword doesn't break. She just, that form becomes basically unusable. Uh, like, okay. does virtually no damage at and all. And when you only have the two forms, then it's probably... Well, she, and the, yeah, she's got, you know, the two main forms, but then the bonus form, which you rarely get to use. Yeah. Uh, so, and then with the other guys, these farmers, um, you know, his weapon can break. And then you have to wait until it powers back up again. Yeah. Cool. So they 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 play very differently than the main game, which is very cool. But yeah, it's hard. Actually, I think I think they're harder. Like I I think uh if you have a Vita and you have fond memories of Miramasa, hopefully you had PlayStation Plus and got it when it was free. If yeah. not, then keep an eye on it because this DLC sounds insane. I mean, I got the I got the uh, second episode DLC when it was on like a flash sale for like two dollars. Yeah. Because uh, I hadn't gotten it yet, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll I'll put down two bucks for that. But I think they're only yeah. like four or five bucks a piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I only found out that there was DLC with this game when I did a little research before this episode <laughs> to see well, what they was don't, different. They really return. don't advertise it. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of there. It's, it's not on the news sites. I mean, 
if you don't check PSN every day and you don't already have the game, it's like you pass right over it. Yep. Yeah, uh, so I like I think... it a lot. And and the Vita version is really God. I think it's it pretty. is it oh is my the definitive God, version of this game. Yeah. Especially on that OLED screen. It looks gorgeous. And I don't think the Wii I don't think the Wii version looks bad. Um, no. It just, you know, the OLED screen's a lot better than a Wii outputting in, you know, standard definition. Exactly. It's much sharper. Yep. And if you have headphones in, it sounds so wonderful. Yeah, it's so I, atmospheric. I could listen to that soundtrack in my car. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but it is very good. Yeah, yeah. I was on, I was on radio, I was on the Radio Trivia podcast forever ago, and I used Muramasa as one of my games. I wonder if anyone got that. If you got that, let us know. What, that um, episode? Yeah, no, 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 if you, if you knew what it was. And you heard that episode of Radio Trivia. Just oh, everyone yeah, yeah, should yeah. go listen to Radio Trivia. Yeah. Stop listening to this podcast. Go listen to Radio Trivia. <laughs> I think that's going to be about it for this yeah. Game of the Week segment. Uh, I, kind of the Game of the Bye Week. Um, because we didn't, well, I guess technically we did do the one last week because Tomodachi Life was, was right. out next, last week, but we recorded that two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, everything kind of got shifted around. Um, but we're okay. going to keep up trying to do this. Uh, yeah. you, if you like this kind of weird, like, talking about a Vita re-release of a Wii game thing, let us know. I don't know if we're going to be doing too many other things like this. Uh, just figured, since I knew Zach and I were both playing it, that we'd try talking about it. Yeah. Um, so let us know at connectivity at NintendoWorldReport.com um, and ask any questions about, you know, Miramasa or Tomodachi Life or anything, and we'll we'll cover them at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think our next game of the week, we have a lot of options. Uh, which direction we're going to take this. Um, we might be doing Kid Icarus Uprising. We might be doing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. Oh, man. Or uh, we might be doing Guacamelee uh, Super, Sur- oh, yeah. Super Turbo Championship Edition. And the reason why we might do that sooner rather than later is I have a couple download codes for Guacamelee. Whoa. So maybe what we'll do is is I'll, I'll plant the seed here. Um, I'm only going to be giving, uh, one or two away on Twitter and then maybe, maybe some more on connectivity. So maybe we'll plan to do, uh, maybe we'll plan to do Guacamelee in like two weeks. That'd be and cool. Then, and then, uh, we'll do something else, either Kitty Gross Uprising or Tony Hawk 3 next week. And then, uh, Guacamelee next week. And then stay tuned next week. Because then we'll we'll tell you how you can win a copy of Guacamelee. Mm, yes. Um, we need to figure that out how we're going to give it away. But whoever, whoever can do the, the most obnoxiously stereotypical Mexican accent. Uh, no. My name is Jeff. No. El Jefe. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, something. We'll think of something. We will. But maybe write in a question to connectivity at com and mention something about wanting a copy of Guacamelee and then ask mm. an awesome question. And then maybe something go. will happen. No, no promises. It better be a damn good question. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening and talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.
Alright, that will do it for episode 143 of Connectivity. As always, you can send your listener mail to connectivity at nintendobullreport.com. Be sure to follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendobullreport.com. Look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page, and you can find all of our usernames there. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't done that yet. We'll see you next week. Thank you.